God had for us. Bron and I had our, our first and only daughter, Daisy, uh, in 2005. And three years later, we uh, hung up uh, the guitars and all of that. Not that we had guitars, we were a hip-hop band. Hip-hop bands don't have guitars. But we laid all of the music gear down, and I started to work at a church that I'd grown up in, a church called City Hill in Hillcrest. That's where the Hillcrest comes from. And within about two years, uh, we had also had a very similar adventure to Common Ground. We started to plant sites all over the greater Durban area. And my wife and I were asked to go and lead this ragtag bunch of people in Westville. And uh, it was supposed to be for a year. That was 12 years ago. But over the preceding sort of two to three years, we fell in love with this congregation. And uh, there was the opportunity given to us, like you, to be part of a family of churches, but to put on our big boy pants and become our own local church. And um, we felt very strongly in God that God had called us to lead that church as if it's the last thing we will ever do. Until such time as God may or may not take us somewhere else. I really believe that that's actually the call of every Christian, to be honest. Where you are, give everything. But live with an open hand that God may or may not take you to some other land or some other place on an adventure. And so we've been there for just short of 12 years now, and uh, we've enjoyed a merge with another church about seven years ago, and, uh, and through all of that process have been part of this wonderful partnership of churches called Advance. It's why I know Andre and Sabrina, it's why we know Rigby and Sue and many other churches around our country and around the world. We uh, are desperate to never be lone rangers. We believe that it's great to have accountable friendships and partnerships in the gospel. This is a little bit of our story, and so I do bring greetings from our church, One City in Westville. If you're ever in Durban, you're most welcome. We'd love to have you come and join us. Durban is the best in South Africa, by the way. I mean, I don't mind Cape Town, but Durban is amazing. We've got both the beach and the berg. And, and I'm ashamed to say, but given last night's score, we, we also have the sharks. But, but I won't go there. I won't, go, I won't talk rugby. I won't talk soccer. I want to encourage you this morning, and I want to just read this small little passage from Peter's first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter uses this word urge. And to urge is to, is to encourage people to continue and to succeed. I'm hoping today through this very small passage to encourage you as common ground Weinberg to continue and to trust God that you will succeed. Christianity has always been an otherworldly an otherworldly reality, right? In fact, when Christianity starts to reflect the world, it starts to lose its distinctiveness. It's, it starts to become something other. A man by the name of Russell Moore made this assertion, and I'll just I'll paraphrase it, but he says that when Christianity starts to reflect the culture, whether the culture be a political agenda or fashion trends or recreational activities, 
Christianity like that will only last as long as it is useful to its host. Because at its root, it is idolatry. And the reality is that people turn from their idols when they stop sending rain. He dives into it a little bit, but I think I, I prefer what C.S. Lewis says, one of my favorite authors. He says, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want religion to make you feel comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. There's something amazing about our faith in Christ. When we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, in the finished work of Jesus, we start to live as citizens of another world. I know just even speaking to Mladen, did I say that right? You know, I know that there are possibly many immigrants here. You're, you're citizens maybe of somewhere else, and you're living in another place, and you would resonate with this. But over all of that, as a Christ follower, your citizenship is in heaven. But we're here, and we're here to play a part. And certainly as Christians, we don't go and seek discomfort. We don't go and look for suffering. No, actually, our job as Christians is to seek first the kingdom of God. It's not about, Christianity is not about celebrating pain and brokenness, right? We don't wallow in our pain and say, bring it on. No, actually, Christianity is celebrating the redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? But I don't want you to miss a point here this morning. You see, following Jesus will cost you your life. It's going to cost you your life. And may even, at extreme moments, lead to your death. To follow Jesus will cost you. Jesus himself actually lays down the discipleship gauntlet when he says this. He says to you and I, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We hear... In this room, Common Ground Weinberg, we find ourselves right at the bottom of Africa. This beautiful place, almost as beautiful as Durban. Wonderful place. No, I'm kidding. But the reality, friends, is that many of our brothers and sisters around the, around the world find themselves in far more hostile areas. I mean, if you just cast your mind back just a few years to those 26 Christians who were beheaded in Egypt for their faith. Think of those in Nigeria who are constantly facing persecution by Boko Haram. Now, that may not necessarily be the death that you would experience, right? However, for you and I, there are daily deaths that we should encourage in our lives as we take up the cross and follow Jesus. Essentially, all I really want to do this morning is I want to lay out for you five battles that we ought to fight every single day in taking up the cross and following Jesus. And as we do, I want to, I want, you know, we sang earlier a song about who I am. We spoke about, about the fact that we're holy and righteous. Well, we can only say that, friends, when we dive in to the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ and His resurrection. We can only say those words when we, are, when we not only die with Christ, but we rise with Him again. So what are some of the things that you and I daily need to, need to you know, 
take out the proverbial sword of the Spirit and chop its head off? What are these things that we could, in a culture that says that you're the most important, what are these things that we could end up actually losing each and every day, and that's actually good for you? I'm glad you asked. I'll, I'll give it to you next time I come. No, no, I'm kidding. I've got them here. I've prepared it. So the first thing is, the first thing that we lose is this idea of being your own boss. Uh, undoubtedly, we, we are raised in a world that encourages us to climb the ladder, to go from rags to riches, to be self-made, right? That's the, that's the sort of dream of every person in the modern world. And whilst that might be incredibly prevalent in places like America, it is also found here in this beautiful entrepreneurial landscape of Africa. We live under these banners that scream, be who you want to be, follow your dreams, find yourself. And the current narrative in the world is one where we are encouraged to express our individualism, to express who we believe that we are. To, and freedom, by the way, freedom in this sort of narrative is that it is, it's to live life with no constraints whatsoever. I want to encourage you this morning that that is actually anti-gospel. It points to this idea that you are the one in control of your life. As much as you and I, and I will be happy to take one for the team on this, we want to have control of our lives. The idea of discipleship in Christ, the idea of following Jesus requires that we surrender our will. Remember the Lord's Prayer, friends. Your will be done, not my will. It's why we sing, I surrender all. I surrender all. Jesus is Lord, and I'm not. Friends, there's this fault line that lies within creation. And it's this idea that man wants to live outside of the rule of God. It's this idea that man wants to rule as his own God. But following Jesus means that we, we usurp that idea off the throne of our hearts. And we say, no, Jesus is large and in charge. Jesus is the one who gets to say how things are done. And we want to give him all. John Stott famously says that the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. We want to do that, right? We want to make it all about ourselves, whilst the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for men. When you and I put our faith in Jesus, we let go of autonomy, friends. We accept union with Christ and we find hope in him. It's not hope in ourselves. And this is incredibly uncomfortable in a culture that blasts a message of self-reliance. You can do it. God gives us grace that is complete and allows us to actually surrender all and not just sing it. To actually surrender all and not just sing it. I know my heart is far more comfortable with what, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor in World War II. He opposed Hitler, and, and he spoke of this idea of cheap grace. 
And I know that when I don't lean into the work of the Spirit in my life and I don't lean into God's Word and God's way, my heart leans towards an idea of cheap grace. And Bonhoeffer calls it this. He says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living incarnate. Friends, one of the first things that I want to encourage Weinberg Common Ground to do this year, would you cut off the head of that idea that you can be your own boss? Would you lay down your will and put your faith and your trust in Jesus and trust Him? The second thing that we lose and the second thing that we should lose each and every day is the idea of consumer religion. I cannot tell you how many times, even in my own church and in my own community, I've met up with people who essentially have rejected Christianity because, in their words, it didn't do it for them. They didn't get what they hoped they would get out of Christianity. They didn't get what they hoped they would get out of doing what they believed were the external signs of what it means to be a Christian. You and I know, friends, and I know that this is a, a hallmark of common ground. You and I know that to be saved is not about us going to God and saying, God, would you accept me? Because look, I've been to church. I read my Bible. I've been kind. I've been good. You and I know that that's not what it means to follow Christ. To follow Christ is to go to God and say, God, I know that I am unworthy of your acceptance, but I'm putting my faith and trust in your son. Would you accept me because of what he has done? And God, by His grace, gives us the record of Christ, and we are accepted. But so many people out in the world, so many of your friends and family think that being a, a Christian is about what you do, not who you are. Of course, what you do matters, but friends, it, it has, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? What comes first, when it, when it comes down to what you do as a Christian, friends, it comes down to the gospel miracle that takes place in your heart, a regenerated heart. I mean, think about people, even in this lockdown pandemic, who have assigned their Christianity to church attendance, and all of a sudden you can't go to church because there's lockdowns everywhere. What does that say about my faith now? The uncomfortable nature of the cross blasts a message to you and I that we are called to serve and not to be served as Christ came to do. Christianity is about sacrifice rather than personal gain and service rather than power. And we see this in the scriptures when Jesus' disciples go to him and they ask that question about wanting to be first. You know, they, they almost reveal their ambition in the question. They're looking for status and power. They want the glory of being at the right hand of Jesus. And they end up being crushed by the reality that Christ's kingdom is not about glory and prestige. It's not about what you can get. It's about washing one another's feet. Again, friends, I want to commend you, and it's the thing that I love about Common Ground, it's the thing that I love about this church, is that there isn't this idea of a man with all the, hour, all the power for the hour, all the hour for the power. 
It's not about this hierarchical system of, of prestige, of kind of, if I can come to this church, and if I can participate enough, maybe I can be in that circle, or maybe I can be in that circle, maybe then I can do this. No, friends, we come equally to the cross. This idea of consumer religion, uh, you know, obviously we live in a world where the consumer's always right, right? You're always right. And that starts to pervade the way that we live out our faith. It starts to pervade the way that a person looks for a church. It starts to pervade the way that they want to follow Jesus. What do I like about what Jesus says? What do I not like? It starts to pervade the way they look for a spouse. We want somebody. We want a church. We want products that match what we want. And when we look to the cross, we're reminded that when it comes to relationships, when it comes to our faith, What's more important, friends, is commitment, not consumerism. And so this year, this year as you, as you face 2022, I mean, it's seven years after Marty McFly went back to the future, friends. You know, we are living in the future. If you watch Back to the Future, you would have got that reference. I'm sorry if you didn't. But we're living in the future, man. And as you face this year... I, I, I know, and, and I sense even in your heart this morning, you have a desire to follow Christ sincerely. Get rid of the idea that it's all about you. And start to look out. I remember in the early years of leading this little local church, I remember after a Sunday, I would go home and I'd be wasted. I'd be finished. I just, I felt like, I felt like I was, um, you know, just being drained, and I realized, because God convicted me that I was going every Sunday, even as a leader in the church, I was going with this idea of what can I get out of it? How can I feel good about this morning? And I felt God say to me, spend yourself. Spend yourself. When you go, don't think about what questions you would like people to ask you. Go and ask them questions. Go and see how they're doing. Go lay hands on that person. Go and give an encouragement to that person. And I started to do that, and I don't do it perfectly, trust me. But as I did that, I started to find myself being full. Sure, I'd be tired on a Sunday afternoon. We all like a Sunday afternoon nap, unless you're into Formula One. But I'd come home refreshed. And, I, and, it, and that's God's way. God's, God gives you what you need to spend yourself. Would you do that this year? Would you do this in your walk with the Lord? The third thing that we need to wrestle with is this Loss of pride. Pride, to cut off the head of pride in our lives. One of the most amazing things about our faith, friends, is the fact that everyone is welcome. Jesus died for all. And when we say all, we mean all. The problem is, is that when you start to reckon with that, you realize just how offensive it is. Because that means, you know, when the reality kicks in, hold on a minute, the murderer, the thief, and dare I even say, the vile pedophile, the vile contingent of humanity, when they repent, they find themselves accepted by God. Wow. That's offensive, man. A man by the name of uh, Brett McCracken, uh, in one of his books, he tells the story of a of a lady who goes to visit her son's murderer in prison. She's found faith in Christ, 
And she's now arrived at a place where she's ready to go and actually forgive her son's murderer. So she goes to the prison, and to her surprise, when she encounters this man, she, she's a bit shocked because he looks upbeat and pleasant. She says to him, you, you look better than I expected. And, and she proceeds to tell him, to, to, sorry, to tell her how he's also found God. Oh, sorry, she tells him how she's found God and prompted to now forgive him, that she has a new life and that she's found peace and love and she wants to spread this love by coming to visit him and to forgive him. And to her shock, he replies by saying that he too has found faith in Christ. And he says to her, he says, since I came here, I've accepted God into my heart. The Lord has reached out to the sinner. Is that so, she says? She's actually a little bit perturbed by this, strangely. She says, well, it, well it's good that you found God, she says rather tentatively. And this convicted murderer says, yes, I'm so grateful. God has reached out to me, the sinner, and he's made me kneel and repent of my sins, and God has absolved me of my sins. It's at this point where the lady actually completely starts to wilt. God has forgiven you of your sins? She mutters in disbelief, and he says, yes. He says, and I found peace, and I have experienced through my repentance and absolution that has brought me this peace. And now I start every day in prayer, and I pray for you, and I'm going to pray for you until the day that I die. The sad thing about this story, friends, is that the lady leaves that prison completely crushed. She is overcome by the horror of the idea that she had not considered, that God had beaten her to the punch for giving her son's killer. And to hear this, it was seemingly an injustice that she could not accept. And she's unable to lose her pride and she abandons God. Same author writes this, he says, The sufficiency and availability of God's grace to all people is scandalous. And for many, a pull too hard to swallow. We are prideful creatures we want to believe that right living warrants us better standing in God's eyes than, say, the terrorists and the rapists and the pedophiles. We want God to reward us for being good and punish others for being bad. Our pride makes it hard for us to stomach the notion that earning or deserving are not words that exist in God's vocabulary of grace. Wow. Friends, I want to encourage you that when we lose the sense of pride, like somehow I am better because God has accepted me. When we lose that pride and we realize that we all come equal to the foot of the cross, our hearts are able to be extended to all mankind with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would that fill your heart this year and on into the future? Just two more points Number four, the thing that we lose or ought to lose is that of power, coolness, and cultural respectability. When we look at the way of Jesus, and when I talk about the way of Jesus, I mean how does Jesus want you to live your life, your marriage? What does God want you to do with your finances, your sexuality, and how you do your work? 
ultimately, when we live God's way, it is decidedly uncool to the world. In most cases, it's actually politically incorrect or just plain weird to a world that's looking in. And there is a huge pressure on churches and individuals in the church to be accepted in, the, in public society. But if we go back to Peter's words and actually other mentions that we find in the Scripture, we realize we are sojourners and exiles. We are citizens of another world, friends. Other translations use the word aliens and strangers. What makes you strange? What makes you strange in the world that you would live in? Well, I would propose that the thing that should make you strange is that of the gospel itself. The gospel will always be offensive to polite society. Again, John Stott says this in the cross of Christ. He says, either we preach that human beings are rebels against God under His judgment and if left to themselves, lost. And that Christ crucified who bore their sin and curse is the only available Savior. Or we emphasize human potential and human ability with Christ brought in only to boost them and with no necessity for the cross except to exhibit God's love and so inspire us to greater endeavor. He then says that the former, so the first, is the way to actually be faithful. The latter is the way to be popular. It is not possible to be faithful and popular simultaneously. I want to encourage you, friends, in a world that is changing sort of the landscape all the time, changing the riverbanks, would you lean into God's Word, empowered by the Spirit of God, convicted with a conviction given us by God to persevere in the strangeness of the gospel? And then lastly, the last thing that we can expect to lose as we pursue our relationship with Christ is the loss of health, wealth, and comfort. Now, I'm being specific with these words because these words have been attached to another form of Christianity, that of the latter that John Stott was talking about, that God is actually there to help you be healthy, wealthy, and comfortable. Many of you here today, you have a roof over your head. Thankfully, by God's grace, you have a job that you work, and there is provision coming into your home. But it is not uncommon, friends, in God's kingdom for Him at times to pull out that carpet of material comfort. If you and I are going to follow Christ with an open hand, certainly when it comes to money and earthly possessions, we need to have it with an open hand. And this is blatantly scriptural as well as just blatantly obvious. We are part of a of a worldwide community of upwards of 2 billion people who profess faith in Christ. And if you were to look at those 2 billion people, quite clearly the majority of those 2 billion people are not living in a place of health, wealth, and comfort. I say to my friends who, who affirm that actually to live for Christ is about enjoying health, wealth, and comfort, I 
I push back and I say, well, what about our brothers and sisters who are being faithful, who are coming to God with sincere hearts, but they're living in the deep, darkest parts of the world and they don't have what you say we ought to have in Christ? It's blatantly obvious, friends. And Jesus says some incredibly uncomfortable things about this, even with regards to our family. It's completely offensive to modern sensibilities, but also to the Jewish, um, the Jewish community that would have heard it in the first place. As I mentioned, if you look at Scripture, you can see right in the early days of, of Christianity, physical suffering and persecution, even martyrdom that Christians experienced. From Paul's flogging in Philippi, to Polycarp's burning at the stake, to Jim Elliot's death by spear in Ecuador, the crucified Christians in Syria, the beheaded believers in Libya, the persecution of Christians in this world today, friends, is currently staggering and horrific. But now it's not all doom and gloom, right? This is where I want to land this morning. You see, the Christian's perspective on suffering and hardship is not framed by fear. It's actually framed by flourishing. You see, the Bible reminds us that you and I are to share in the sufferings of Christ. And it's in those moments when we share in the sufferings of, of Christ that we truly begin to experience the gospel. And why is that? Because the gospel, the gospel is actually about suffering. And it's about suffering giving way to death. But it's about death giving way to the victory of the resurrection, friends. Nobody wants it. Nobody's running towards it. But I want to encourage you that the the gifts that God deposits in your life when you go through those valleys, the valley of the shadow of death, I want to propose to you it would not come in any other way. And I do wrestle with God sometimes. I say, Lord, do you not have a Holy Spirit USB that I could just download whatever lesson you are wanting to teach me, Lord? Do I have to go through this valley? And God is with us. God is saying, my son, my daughter, I could tell you, but it's going to be better if I show you. It's going to be better if I show you. You will believe me when I show you. These things that we're speaking of that we lose, this idea of losing the idea of being your own boss, of consumer religion, of pride, of coolness and power and respectability, losing health, wealth and comfort, friends. These are just these mini deaths that you and I need to endure every day as we pick up our cross and we follow Jesus. Because when we lose our lives, we find it in Him, friends. Be reminded of what Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. But whatever I gain I had, but whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I'm going to do a hash job of a Timothy Keller quote, but he talks about this idea that, you know, often we come to Jesus to get stuff. 
instead of coming to Jesus to get Jesus. To get Jesus. When we look at a world that's in turmoil, friends, my challenge to you today, Common Ground Weinberg, that world is longing to see a people who are living with a poise and a hope and a Christ-likeness that comes from a surrendered life. What does a person look like who pays the cost of following Jesus? Well, firstly, their life is fruitful because they, they, all of their deeds are done out of obedience to God, God who has infinite cosmic wisdom. And who actually knows how this life should be lived. The loss of pride in a follower of Christ produces a humility in a person that's deeply attractive. Have you met that person before? Have you met that person who exudes a confident humility, right? Again, a Timothy Kellerism. If you hear one side of the gospel, you're loved by God and that's all you hear, you can become an arrogant punk right? If you hear the other side of the gospel, which is you don't deserve God and you're heading to hell, if, that, if that's all you hear, you could be crushed into the ground. But when you hear both of these two things, the reality that you don't deserve God, but God loves you, it produces a confident humility in you that's deeply attractive to the world, friends. We don't want to be arrogant people who know everything, but we also don't want to be so crushed into the ground. We want to have a confidence that Christ gives us. That's what a person looks like who lives a surrendered life. And can I just say this idea of power and coolness and respectability, when we actually stand up for the truth, friends, there's something deeply attractive about a person with a backbone who stands up for the truth. And ironically, it's pretty cool respectable, and that truth has a power. Would you surrender all this year? I want to urge you, Common Ground Weinberg, towards succeeding in God, to continuing in God. And as you do, put on your big boy pants, Andre, with your elders and this congregation, I want to encourage you to dive into the adventures that God has for you. God has called you. God has grafted you into this community. I say to my church often, I say, you know, you might think you're here because there's great kids ministry. You might think that you're here because you got offered a free cappuccino when you walked in. You might be here because for some reason you like the music or you found some reason why you believe it's good for you to be here. I want to say to you today, the reason why you're in a church is because God has given you to this church. Because God has given you to this church. And would you be ready to surrender all, lay your heart down. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you that when we see the truth of your word and we affirm it, we also can reflect on, on where we are in our journey with you. And, and you are sanctifying us. You are, you are washing us with your word. You are drawing us closer to you. And so that means that when we see the truth of what we believe, we see how we fall short of it. We're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful for the power of the cross. And we're thankful for the gift given to us in your Holy Spirit. 
And Lord, I pray that as we face these many deaths each and every day, as we take up the cross and follow you, Lord, we are crying out to you today. We need your strength. We need your power, God. Would you do what only you can do in our lives, Lord? Now I pray, Father, that we would bring the wood to the fire. We would open up the word. We would, we would speak out those prayers. And as we do, Lord God, would you ignite it by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you make it bigger and better than it could ever be in our own strength, Lord God? Would you show off through us, Lord God? Would your power and your might be evident in everything that we do? We are putting our trust in you again, again, and again. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name.